14. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from the uh, people of a strange language, Judah became a sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The little hills like lambs. What ails thee, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. O mountains, that you skipped like rams. O little hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into the into a fountain of waters. Now, Psalm one fourteen, of course, one thirteen and one fourteen, are psalms that were sung uh, during the Lord's day and even today, a Passover uh, and other festivals. But they are sung at the beginning of the Passover meal. Remember, Passover is not a public; it is a private uh, ceremony. It's a private uh, a time to, with the Lord. And it's to be done in the family. And so uh, that's one thing I liked about uh, Fiddler on the Roof. If you ever watch that, you'll see them getting ready for the Sabbath and whatever. But there's a lot of uh, activity that goes on um, during the, the festival. Of course, they've got things such as the, taking all the leaven out of the house before a week before. And then they'll have um, a little piece of leaven that they'll put somewhere, kind of like an Easter egg, and see if the child, or children find it. And if they do, they get the prize or whatever. But uh, all kinds of things to be ready for the Passover. Now, th- this probably, this, these psalms, Psalm 113 and 114, were probably instituted uh, after the captivity. The children of Israel had come back from the captivity, and they were, uh, of course, oppressed. Remember with the... Uh, Nehemiah, there's enemies all around, and yet they had to build the wall, they had to build the temple, they had to reestablish the king, the uh, the nation of Israel. They didn't have a king, but they were under oppression. And then later on, we know about Antiochus uh, or Antiochus, whichever way you want to say it, of um, that Epiphanes who uh, desecrated the temple, and so it was a very difficult time between the captivity and then of course the lord jesus coming but um we say that um, psalm 113 deals with god uh, condescending to the estate of man and praising the lord we see the term hallelujah or praise the lord both at the beginning and the end it's interesting this psalm now is a shorter psalm and in this case, we see that it's about the heritage. It's about the birthday and the, the great events that formed the nation of Israel. And as a result, this hymn is a little shorter. Actually, a child learning this from two or three years old up, by the time they're, you know, by past seven or eight years old, they probably have this one memorized. And it has, it does, it has to do with the greatness of God and how that he um, formed the nation. And how important it is for us to remember that uh, what God has done for us. God has shed his blood, God has shed his blood for us, but God has shed his grace upon us. And uh, it's very important for us to remember July the 4th. Isn't it interesting 
why now we have people saying let's replace it with Juneteenth or whatever it is or all these are anything to get us away from how that God blessed our country and uh, of course uh, let the uh, let the bells ring throughout the land what what bells were there church bells and actually if you want to uh, really get into it uh, uh, many of the the uh, town meetings and even the life or living, give me liberty or give me death speech by uh, Patrick Henry was given in a church. And so uh, we see that uh, the churches had a great deal of influence when our country was formed. And of course, for the prayer and so forth that went forth for our country. Were there problems? Was our country perfect? No. Just like Israel was far from perfect, and yet we see that she did have her pride or that, the, that, uh, that, God, that uh, her heritage was there. And uh, it would be very easy. Uh, yes, let's look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But uh, the Bible is very, uh, is very explicit about their problems. It, would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be very easy uh, to disclaim them. In the same way with, uh, with what we have today. Has our country been perfect? No. Was there hypocrites? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things that I remember, um, one of the, pic- the cartoons the British had was that they were reading the Declaration of Independence with a black man holding a, an umbrella over the person's head reading it. You know, that's what kind of, that's So did we have our blind spots? Definitely. But uh, even for black people today, is it a better country? I like what old Charles Barkley said. I went over to Africa, and I think I'm going to stay over here. You know, it's one of those things where a good old Alabama guy. I love Charles, Charles Barkley. But, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those things where our heritage, whether we started off well or bad, uh, God has blessed us. Now, the same way we see with Israel. Israel was a stiff-necked people. We've gone through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and over and over again, how many times do we see God having to judge Israel and people killed and uh, the judgment and how they kept turning back to idols? And yet, in spite of that, they had a heritage, and that heritage came from the Lord. And so we see uh, Deuteronomy 6.23, of course. He says that he brought us out of there, or from there, that he might bring us in, to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And so he brought us out to bring us in. Of course, he brought us out, and we see in this psalm that it conflates it, and he brought us out. So we have two major events that are talked about in this psalm. One is the Red Sea crossing, which deals with water, and you have the Jordan crossing, which deals with water. And they're all... uh, it all is a picture of redemption and covenant promises and inheritance that God has, has given to Israel and, of course, by extension to us, as we will see. So we see, first of all, God's great deliverance. We see in uh, uh, Psalm one fourteen one and 2 that he says, um, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, uh, from the people of strange language. Now, you see that, first of all, the Red, the Red Sea crossing is mentioned over 120 times in the Old Testament alone. And another score of times or more 
in the New Testament. So close to, well, actually close to 200 times in the, New, in the Bible it's either mentioned or alluded to. And so this was a major event. It was a picture. It was the greatest miracle that happened in the Old Testament. It was a picture of the children of Israel coming out of bondage, being delivered by the supernatural power and the grace of God. And so we see that uh, with the, and that's the beginning of our salvation. And so uh, our salvation isn't complete until we receive our inheritance. And it won't be here on earth, it'll be in heaven. So we see that uh, he brought Israel out of the house of bondage. And we see that in Exodus chapter 20. Um, In Isaiah, when he's talking to the people, he talks about people of strange language. He's saying, you're going to be in bondage again. He was prophesying, you're going to be in bondage again. And of course, the children of Israel, if this was written, and um, all indications are that this was written between the, um, well, actually after the captivity and before the New Testament, but um, that uh, Isaiah was equating the uh, supernatural deliverance by Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra as almost like it wasn't nearly as dramatic, but uh, did the Lord keep the people together? That was a miracle in itself. And then bringing them back to the land and having the temple rebuilt in a hostile land, having the walls rebuilt, having a nation reestablished. There's never been a nation like that before. And talking about strange, like, have you ever thought that? That uh, hit me. They were 400 years in Egypt, and they kept their language. There's something about that. I mean, they had to be bilingual at least because they were slaves and they had to answer to housemaids and, or as housemaids or whatever else. And Moses had to be bilingual. And yet they kept their pure Hebrew language. And that's just a miracle in itself. Uh, one of the things you find with, they talked about China. Uh, China was conquered many times, but all they did was absorb the people who conquered them over and over again. And so, uh, and we see even in the United States uh, right now, we're being torn apart because of two languages. I mean, what I mean by that is uh, there's got to be a standard where at least we could understand one another or you will have two different groups like we do. And uh, it really surprised me when I moved to Michigan, just 30 miles from Canada. And I talked to a lot of Canadians and they say, uh, we really have, I mean, you think you have racial problems. We have racial problems in Canada. I said, really? He said, we hate the French, and they hate us, you know. And Quebec is always trying to uh, secede from Canada and all of that because it's just two languages, which develops two cultures, two ways of thought, and everything else. And so somebody has to decide who's So, again, you can understand why maybe the old pharaoh got a little afraid because these people are still, they're not absorbing it. We're not absorbing them. And so you can see how that he was a little afraid of them too. And so uh, again, we see that uh, um, all these things, of course, worked out for the glory of God. But uh, we see then that uh, language, more than anything else, really divides people. Well, isn't it what happened at the Tower of Babel? How did he uh, divide people? By language. Not by race, but by language. So it's kind of interesting like that, what we see here. But even Isaiah said, you know, you're going to be 
Uh, you're going to have strange people, strange tongues teaching you the word of God. And so, uh, and of course, we see that uh, in Ezekiel or, in, uh, of course, in Daniel and other places. And so the land of promise was to, to be God's dwelling house, place. So notice he says, O Israel, uh, went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from the people of strange lands. So they were delivered. Judah became a sanctuary, of course, the chief tribe the kingly tribe, and the temple was situated where? In Judah. And so, and then in all of Israel, his dominion. The people understood that God didn't just merely dwell in that temple. They could worship him wherever, but he designed it for them to congregate at least three times a year at that temple to remember him and to go through these things again. So, so, so interesting how that uh, we have this uh, uh, before the Lord. And so we see that uh, uh, the land of promise was to be God's dwelling place, and Judah was to be its sanctuary, and uh, Israel was to be God's dominion. And so we see, first of all, then God is establishing this with a, just think of a child growing up. Okay, this is God's place. This is my God. Yeah, we're God's people. And from the very from the time you're born, you're taught that you're God's chosen people. I mean, that'd be special, wouldn't it? It'd be, you know, I like to think of uh, Jews and uh, Christian Jews as being double blessed. You know, they they're God's chosen people, but then they're God's chosen people as far as salvation is concerned. And uh, and so we see that. Uh, then he he talks about these two great miracles, basically, and we see that in the next. Uh, Two verses, he says, the sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The little hills like lambs. And so uh, he's mentioning four different things here. First of all, the sea fled. Now, he's, this is a, a poetic device called personification. You take an inanimate object and you and you person and it's like uh, saying, uh, you know, this. This pew gets up and runs, or it it sits well, or whatever, you know. So uh, there again, it's personifying something. You you see it in animation. That's the reason they call it animation, because you take a car and have it talk and make a million dollars off of it, you know, or whatever else. Uh, Toy Story, all those different things are animations or personifications. And so we see that that, uh, he's personifying the sea. Did it fly, or did did it flee? No, but God just pushed it back and they walked across on dry land. And it was very deep. In fact, extremely deep if it's uh, in that Gulf of Aqaba or close on the other side of that peninsula, as we saw that we think now it's on that eastern side of that fork that goes up uh, into the, the Red Sea or from the Red Sea. And so if it was, that's a very deep area, a very deep um, um, or see there, and so we see that uh, it fled. Now, did it, God cause the wind to come by and it fled? Uh, so nature recognized God's presence and obeyed Him. I like what G. Campbell Morgan said there. Uh, the sun and the moon, they 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 obey Him. Um, if the Lord didn't use us, He would use the stones to cry out. Remember what the Bible says. What uh, Second like Peter says. So God can use whatever he wants. 
And so we see that uh, when God speaks to nature, nature obeys him. When God says for it to rain, it rains. When God says it to, for it to cease, it ceases. We get so used to God's systems that we don't think about that. But God controls every raindrop. And yet uh, we see, and, and yet we can't totally understand how that uh, he could be so controlling. And yet we don't see it. And he gives us so many variables and so many choices. Just amazing what God has done. And so we see the natural, the, the nature recognized his um, and obeyed his will. And as we said, this is the greatest miracle in all the Old Testament. Jordan turned back. That's another term. What happened? After 40 years, they, another water system, the, the Jordan was at flood stage. And God backed it up. I like to hear these uh, people who like to try to explain the way the miracles in the Old Testament uh, you know, uh, really it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, and it was only two feet deep and all that. Well, the miracle then would be that God drowned a, a, the strongest army and their horses in the world. Uh, he drowned them in two feet of water, you know. So, and, you know, choose your poison. Choose your, if you're going to not believe it. But uh, then uh, there was an earthquake that uh, t- caused a temporary rock slide that uh, dammed up the Jordan River. Well, God didn't say that. He said he just stopped. And if God, if God can create the world by the spoken world, I don't have any problems with him stopping a river. Do you? I mean, if he's big enough to create the world, then I don't have any problem with that. Now, how did he do it? That's a good question. I'd like to find out. But uh, I might not know until I get to heaven. But, uh, I, but we know why he did it. And so we see that uh, Jordan turned back. Uh, God's command... And the terminology here is, what else could it do? When God speaks, what else could, you know, when the Lord tells a donkey to speak, did she speak? I mean, whatever God says, he can, he can alter the laws of nature as much as he wants. I like what Spurgeon says here. The division of the sea and the drying up the river are placed together, though 40 years intervened because they are the opening and closing scenes of one event. We may thus unite by faith our birth and departure out of this world into the promised inheritance. It is all one and the same deliverance, and the beginning of it ensures the end. And so, there again, I'm saved. But I like what the New Testament does in the Greek language. And that is it's that you, it's that you are being saved. Because I'm not there yet, and my deliverance is from death, death of hell, but then physical death. I'm going to live forever. Now I do get a little bit of inheritance here on earth, just like the children of Israel when they crossed the, the Red Sea. The believers they really were prosperous, and God greatly blessed them. But that wasn't the end result. They're in heaven today, those who believe the Lord, right? So, you know, whatever blessings, and I like what somebody says, even if there wasn't a heaven or a hell, I'd still want to be a Christian because life is so much better being a Christian. And I think that's true. But at the same time, uh, there are trials. And my inheritance is laid up for me in heaven. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, okay, but then lay up for yourselves treasures of heaven where rust doth not corrupt, nor thieves break through and steal. So again, it's one event. Salvation begins at the moment we accept him, but then our translation to heaven is, uh, we're just going through the promised land right now, <laughs> which has got its, and, and did the children of Israel really, uh, even though they were greatly blessed, did they really appreciate it? I don't think we really understand just how much we are not appreciating what God gives us until we get to heaven. And so again, we see that this is a, uh, uh, that God ensures the end. And this, uh, this whole world's not my home. I'm just passing through. Um, and then he uses another personification. That is the mountain skipped. And of course, what happened at uh, Sinai? Those mountains and earthquakes and all the fire coming down and you know all that, uh, that's kind of poetic language, but the mountains skipped. But then the hills skipped uh, like little lambs. And again, these are illusions of Old Testament. We really don't know all what the poet is saying, um, but many people judge this by Deborah's song. Remember Deborah? Uh, she uh, beat Barak. Barak? No, it was Barak. No, it's spelled the same way, I think. But, uh, but uh, you know, and she wrote Deborah's song. And she talked about the earth moving around. Uh, and of course, there was great deliverance there. And so, uh, again, God's great heritage and where God changed the course of nature, not only to deliver his people from, uh, from bondage, but also to give them victory over their enemies. And so we see that uh, the hills skipped like a lamb. So here again, we have these four. We have um, the, the ocean or the sea. And then we have the river, we have the mountains and the hills. And of course, it's interesting how that uh, God uh, controls all of them. Now, the next five, uh, next two verses, five and six, deal with rhetorical questions. So he turns these four events around, and then he just asks questions. And what ails you, O sea, that you fled? In other words, uh, now he's talking, <laughs> personifying the sea. But you didn't stand a chance against the voice of God, did you? <laughs> of course, to us, uh, the, ski, the sea is scary, isn't it? I mean, I don't, riptides, or you name it, uh, big waves, white caps, uh, billows that we don't, you know, half the people don't know what a billow is, but it's a white cap. You know, um, there again, it's, it's downright scary, but when it's God, then everything. He controls it. And then, of course, oh, Jordan, you turned back. How did you do it? You didn't have a choice, did you? So again, these rhetorical questions where it's just throwing it out there and thinking a little child saying, oh, yeah, I can just imagine the, uh, the face of Jordan just came up like a cartoon and was looking, you know, can you think what, can you think what a cartoonist could do with that, with, you know, a face being in the water dammed up or whatever? Uh, and so a little child in his imagination could really get running with that. Um, and then the mountains skipped like rams. And, of course, children around there knew what a ram was. And they knew how they... You ever seen a ram 
jump around some of the pictures. It's really, really kind of cute. But then, of course, uh, um, and the hills like little lambs. Of course, they play together. But uh, think about what the, what the disciples said. Remember what the disciples said? After the Lord calmed the sea, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who was Jesus? He was God. Amen? So here we see that Jesus was God, and he demonstrated that he was God by doing the very things that Psalm 114 delineates. And so we see that uh, he's just asking these questions. And then you can go to the New Testament and see that uh, people are all struck with the power of, of God, even when he's in their boat. What a blessing. And then the very last part, the uh, Psalm 114, 7 and 8, uh, he's again a summons prayer. And that's interesting. Verse 7 is the first time you get to the name of God. All the rest of it is kind of building up. Who are we talking about? Who is he in yonder stall, you know? Uh, and so you sing all the way to the end before you, before you name it. But here we see that uh, he's saying, who is this God? I mean, they, they did all this. And you know, as a child, you can just think of them, think about it. I imagine mom and dad or Sunday school or Sabbath school teacher would have been really building this up, you know, big time. And the kids are just being there, oh, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so this is inculcated in their lives from, from birth. And so, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. And this is the first time that God is mentioned as Adonai, which is the sovereign master. He controls everything. He created the sun, moon, and stars. I remember what we talked about uh, uh, that's so interesting to me. It's just little things that catch, catch you as you read through the Bible. Why did God put that in? And in Luke, where you see those two uh, Gemini statues as a masthead. And why did God put that in? Other than the fact that uh, I think uh, it was, you know, saying the contrast. A God who controls the sea and controlled that whole ocean. And now he's in a boat with people who think that those gods control it. And what a, what a blessing it is to know that, hey, I want to tell you about the God who created those two big old stars up there. I want to tell you about the, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. I mean, uh, you don't need, I mean, he's the guy that controls the waves. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? And so here again, I think you're just the contrast that uh, you see there. And, uh, and so uh, tremble old earth at his presence because God is the sovereign master. He controls everything, master of everything. And then um, at the... At the the presence of God, the presence of God of Jacob. So again, coming back, oh, he's our God. So again, think of the Jewish mind. He's the master of the universe, but guess what? He's our God. What a blessing. Chosen people, right? And God used the, those people to propagate his word to a lost and dying world. And then we see who turned the rock into a pool of water. Now, it's kind of interesting. There's two terms here for rock. Uh, the first uh, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 12, of course, we know the water from the rock where Moses struck the rock. But that rock was a softer rock than the rock of Numbers 11, which was almost 40 years later 
which was up in the mountains. And that was a word that, uh, from what I understand, is Hebrew is uh, kind of like flint. But by this time, you had a lot of people whose hearts were hardened, weren't they? It's kind of interesting. But, uh, but uh, from beginning to end, God provided the water. Why? Because he's the water of life. If God leads you in the way, then he's going to, out of, out of his springs, rivers of living water. And so all during the deliverance from Egypt and all through the times, all the way up until the time of being delivered into the promised land, God provided the way. And of course, in the promised land, waited the milk and honey and all the sustenance they would ever need if they obeyed God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to whom? his riches in Christ Jesus. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. He's the water of life. He is the savior of our soul, but he's the supplier of our needs. What a blessing. And for a little child to learn that from the very beginning. No wonder, I mean, uh, just what, and uh, we'll look at this, uh, uh, the end of Acts chapter 28. It would be so hard, even today, for a Jew who's been brought up like this and heard these things over and over and over again, especially every year, once a year at least, if not more, and play them out with the kids and everything else, um, for them just to come to a Gentile church where they don't appreciate it at all. No wonder so many of them stick together, you know, and have their uh, own churches. And uh, now that that's, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's the difficulty of reaching Jews for the Lord is they feel alienated when they come to a Gentile church that doesn't understand a thing of their heritage and our heritage. And so the more that we learn, I remember talking to a rabbi one time. I was telling you about Birmingham. And uh, he came over to bless or to whatever they do. He, the, the rabbi they won't, they won't make a business transaction without a rabbi looking at what's done. It's interesting. But he came over, he his little kepi or whatever they call it. He didn't have it pinned, so he was just holding it on his head like this. And we were talking. Uh, and, he, and I mentioned, you know, um, I forget how we got in the conversation. But uh, he started finding out that I knew a little bit about the Old Testament. He's looking at me like, you're a Gentile. You're not supposed to know that. You know, it's like, you know a lot about, you know, and we talked about different things. And I'm going, well, I didn't, I didn't. It was one of those things where, you know, he, he wasn't fooling me or he wasn't. And he realized that I could answer him about everything he said unless he got into some very technical things. But uh, we weren't sparring. It was just interesting that I kind of, he looked at me like, you're weird. <laughs> you know? And I always liked that. So you can understand, the more we know about the Old Testament, the more accepting, I think, a Jew will be of being in our services. And we've had them before. In fact, uh, the, we had uh, the couple that moved to Wisconsin. And the Jew came, uh, the, the, the Jewish friend of theirs that came. And she really enjoyed the services, praise the Lord. But uh, we want it to be that way. Okay, any questions or comments about what we've gone through tonight? <clears throat> 